Either me, I don't know my sermon is really long. I wanted to have some of these passages before me as we begin Advent together um, so I could read them for us. I heard for the first time this year, it's um, the end of November after all, um, this is, this is in an advert, the most joyous season of the year. It sounds pretty typical. We hear that all the time. And then in a card that came in the mail this week, you deserve all the joy in the world. It sounds right, doesn't it? It sounds very much a sign or of a, of a nature of our season. These advertisements that want us to be happy or to buy things or to eat things or to drink things or to travel. An invitation into a season of joy. But what is joy? Uh, two weeks ago, I uh, preached a sermon on joy and hope. And several people asked a question about joy, which I described as a virtue more than an emotion. And so as we enter into Advent, I take a Sunday to work on that together. I don't promise full understanding, but at least to walk into this idea together. There are four virtues we often recognize during Advent, hope and peace and love and joy. And so today I want to show us how the season teaches us the virtue of joy. It's one of these things that's obvious to us in terms of our emotions or passions. It does kind of come upon us. We know what it means to be joyful. We know what it means to be angry, to be sorrowful, to love, and to hate. These things that are around us and in our midst, but it takes some thought, it takes some discipline to understand them. They um, aren't always in our control. Think of the psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43. There's a refrain in those two psalms. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Sadness can come upon us for reasons we can't explain and in ways we cannot overcome. So when we delve into this idea of joy and sadness and sorrow and anger, we're looking in kind of a window into the deep nature of our human being, what it means to be made in the image of God. And joy and sorrow are a part of that. As I kind of flesh this out today, I'll do it in three um, distinct parts. So first, I'll just talk about human joy, what it means to be a joyful person in the human nature. And then I'll talk about our idea of joy in the church. And then finally, the joy of Advent. So first, it's this idea of, of human joy. And we are gifted with believe it or not, centuries of Christians who've thought deeply about this subject in the past. We're not kind of stumbling into this out of nowhere. And what's kind of been handed to us is, is there's a number of what we would call passions, or they would describe as passions that we experience in life. Hatred and love, courage and fear, anger. They tend to come in pairs like this. Joy and its opposite, sorrow. And there's these experiences that we have in life, and so we long to be joyful, and yet we're often sorrowful. We long to love, and yet we often hate. And so the Christian obligation here is to be people who are joyful, to pursue and find this habit of joy. And the way that we do that isn't by merely feeling happy. The distinct nature of joy and sorrow is what they have is something called a thatness or a whatness. You're sorrowful about something. 
I'm sad that I'm not with all my family. I'm sorrowful that I am far from friends. I'm sorrowful that it was a bad day yesterday. I'm joyful that the sun is out. We're joyful or sad about something. This begins to give you a sense of what joy is. Paul says today in his letter to the Thessalonians, what thanks can we give to God for all the joy we feel for you? It is often for Paul, more often I think than he actually commands joy, he tells the church how joyful he is for them. Paul's not just walking around with um, Christmas songs from the telly on his head, in his head, be joyful, it's the joyful season. He is joyful about something, and that something, most often in his own words, is the unity and love and growth of the church. What thanks can we give to God for all the joy we have for you before our God? He delights in the church. He says, I rejoice that you have a concern for me and have shown a gift to me. I rejoice, he says, in your unity. I rejoice that you have shown yourselves true to the faith. He says that I rejoice, or elsewhere he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, by being a church in unity. So joy, this is kind of our first insight into how it works within us, is that we are joyful for things. It's not simply about being happy. We locate things that are good, that are meaningful, and we set our desire upon them. The psalmist says in Psalm 20, shout for joy for your salvation. It is God's salvation that brings us joy. I rejoice in your wonderful works of your hands, the psalmist says. I rejoice and delight in your laws, for they are good. I rejoice in your name and in your promises. If you study these commands to rejoice in the Psalms and in Paul, there's always an object of thatness to it. And so when we're commanded to be people of joy, that's why I say it's not chiefly an emotion. It is about setting our desire on something good. And chiefly that good is God. We rejoice in Mount Zion where your name dwells. We rejoice that your name is near. Christian joy, as we come into the season of Advent and we think about our human nature, is that practice of setting our minds on those things that are good. And joy is the result. Now it's been said, and people have said this, and I know this is true, I don't feel all that joyful today. You can walk right out of church and sing songs and talk about joy and be no more joyful. It is why I call it a virtue. It requires discipline and practice. It is not easy to be joyful, although we all know people who are overwhelmingly joyful. They're God's gift to us in this world to lift us up. And joyfulness happens in community also. There is something that we have to give ourselves to. Our Advent, our commercial season, just wants us to be happy, but the Christian response is it takes work. C.S. Lewis says in his book, Surprised by Joy, it's his long kind of story of his own journey to the faith, of his um, kind of biography of becoming a Christian. 
And he says that he knew from his earliest days as a child that he yearned to be happy. But it wasn't until he was late in life he discovered that it wasn't joy that we seek, it is God that we seek, and joy is that effect. And so if we seek to be joyful people, it is not joy that we go looking for, it is the Lord and his goodness. It is to delight in him, in his beauty and his perfection. And if we're not joyful, we probably have not practiced delighting in him all that much. To think of his many, many perfections, of the delightful works of his hands, of the thoughts that he has for you minute by minute throughout the day. That brings us great joy. Well, this is how joy is supposed to work as human beings, but joy is particularly given second to the church. I said two weeks ago in the sermon that joy and hope are partners and that they are team sports. The command to rejoice in the Psalms is almost exclusively the plural. We rejoice together. In fact, the words for rejoice, there's two or three in the Old Testament anyway, and they're all vocal words. They're not like sit at home, although there's one a verse in particular that says, you've made me joyful in my heart. But almost all of them are rejoice. Or Psalm 20, let me hear words of joy. Joy isn't something I simply experience, it is something I do for you. It is a gift that I give by rejoicing when I sing out with my voice in a small congregation like this. I give you joy, I lift your spirits. It is so much easier to be joyful when you are in community and you hear the voices of the saints proclaim the goodness and grandeur and loveliness and patience and compassion and long-sufferingness of our God. That is why we gather so often together and inconvenience ourselves in the cold that we may lift our voices and rejoice together, joining ourselves with our sounds, with our voices, by saying the prayers, by bringing out the richness of our liturgy week after week, that we may have something to set our minds on in which to delight, that we might find joy. It's a peculiar thing that we put so much to song, just as the Jews did. For song can't help but lift our spirits. There is something that's peculiar that's worth mentioning here, and I'm in Martha's territory here, so I know I'm out of my expertise. But song was constructed in order to put the liturgy into a heightened and memorable form. We sing in service so that these words of the liturgy we say today might be said loud and memorized and carried about in our minds. And in the musical evangelical revival of the 60s and 70s, this whole movement of new praise music began to be added to the congregational worship. And it wasn't psalms, and it wasn't prayerful, and its content was very often thin. And how many of us have not met someone who said, we go there for the music? We went, but the music wasn't very good. I think you and I know nine times out of ten, they're not talking about the content of the music about the thatness of joy, or talking about how it made them feel. So as we think about joy in the church in our song, it's not chiefly about how the music makes us feel, but upon those thoughts of God and His goodness and His love and His salvation and His word that the music points us to.
It is the ideas themselves, and we can get caught up in our culture for better feeling music, for singing stanzas again and again to provoke or evoke some sense of emotion when it is in fact the words that the music points to out of which our joy comes. A third thought here, it is communal. It is driven by music which sings the rich thoughts and songs of Scripture and of the liturgy. And it is also always tied to thanksgiving and hope. Today when Paul says to the church, what thanksgiving can we give to God for all the joy we have because of you before God? Paul is always thankful and joyful. I sometimes think like you, this is awfully hard to do to be joyful, but Paul commands it again and again and again, dozens and dozens of times. He ends the book of Philippians, or the book of uh, Thessalonians that we're in today, by saying, pray without ceasing, rejoice always, and give thanks in everything. Thankfulness and joy are partners. It says in Psalm 95, which we read every day if we read morning prayer, enter his gates with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise with songs of praise. This world is a gift. Christ Jesus is a gift. The Spirit is a gift. My friends, my life, my gifts are gifts. And with thanksgiving, I go forth in joy. Gratitude begets joyfulness. We remember that all things have been given to us and made for us by God. And also, as I said two weeks ago, joy is a partner to hope. Listen to this from Romans 15, which is also in daily morning prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May the God of hope give you joy and peace that you may have more hope. Hope sets itself on the promises of God, not on the moment. Hope looks out at the horizon. This brings us third then to joy in Advent. The particular shape of joy in this season of the year is one of hope, of looking for that day of the coming of the Son of Man in Zechariah or as it's named, that day of the Lord's return, Jesus tells us, the day of our redemption that is drawing near. Advent we set aside just like we do Lent, a season of four weeks, or in Lent it's 40 days, and we simplify our lives, hopefully. And we add prayer to our day of thanks and joy and waiting and hope. The Lord is drawing near. Jesus says, you will know, straighten up, Raise your heads, for you shall know that your day of redemption is near. Advent is spring training for baseball teams. It's getting back into the habit of looking out on the horizon and knowing that the Lord is just about to come. Our collect that I prayed for today, you may have heard it, when we gather in Advent, there's always two kinds of remembering of hope for that dark day when the world longed for redemption and he came in his humility. And he gathered the world to himself through Christ in his lowliness. And now he's exalted on high and he will come once again in his majesty to sum up and fill out all the goodness of creation. As we begin this season in Advent, 
we ask the Lord to lift in us a spirit of joy as we wait and hope for his coming again. Amen.